0: Start. Start. Oh, hang on, I have to put put the script up. Here yeah, I'll go do that as well. <laughs> there we are, it's up. I'll beat you.
1: friday september 18th 2020 and this is the dutch news podcast your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the netherlands i'm molly quell contributing editor at dutch news and lionel Messi expert with me today are gordon derrick my fellow contributing editor at dutch news and suspected terrorist and paul pater's renaissance man and 2016 twitter connoisseur so guys how's your week been
2: yeah pretty uh pretty eventful pretty busy um yeah uh, I've been uh, hatching my various terrorist plots and uh, trying to uh, dodge the attention of the IND, but I failed because I <laughs> had an appointment down at the IND building to go and get my fingerprints taken. So,
0: Isn't the IND building in Hofdorp?
2: Uh, it's not their headquarters. It's the IND um, office in The Hague, which is round uh. the corner, just around the corner of the um, uh, the, the Foreign Affairs Ministry. Uh, okay. So, so, yeah, but, but on the ground floor, so I didn't have to worry about... Piles of paper, you know, about where, where I stack my paper or anything like that.
0: Or, or design staircases of doom. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, exactly. I totally yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> 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 yeah, luckily this, the ceiling didn't fall in because people have been dancing upstairs or anything like that. So, <laughs> that was a bonus.
0: Steph Block wasn't in the uh, Tweedekama <laughs> chamber, so he was probably ah. somewhere in that building dancing.
2: Okay, yeah, that's intriguing. Well, luckily yeah. not above my head. No, indeed.
1: Mm. He's a pretty so, yeah, thin think, guy, think, yeah, it's probably th- fine if he's dancing.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, just to explain, I had to get the fingerprints taken because of Brexit, basically. <laughs> now, since Brexit, all British nationals have been classed as suspected criminals. Yeah. we to go and get our fingerprints taken. Yeah, welcome or to just windows. being a
1: non-EU citizen. <laughs> this is what our lives know, are like, yeah. Gordon. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah,
0: it's or your know. Or your fingerprints had to be taken because you broke the law in a uh, very specific way. A
1: specific yes, and yes, limited exactly.
0: way. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot the limited, yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, Paul, I saw you uh, retweeting, resharing a lot of tweets from, uh, from the past this week,
0: or? I have absolutely no idea what this is referring to.
1: It's referring to, to the debate on Wednesday when I was being yeah. subjected to listening to the debate and also having to listen to uh, my boyfriend reading out your Twitter reactions to the debate. <laughs> Which is what hell is like. like. And he was saying that because I think this was about Wilders' thing about. um,
0: Oh, yeah, I remember. Joining
1: a political party or who he would work with in the coalition. And then apparently you were just retweeting either his old tweets or your old tweets, basically, when he was saying dumb shit about this before.
0: Yeah, well, what what happened was uh, Geert Wilders was in the chamber and he said. after the uh, after the upcoming election, I uh, do not rule out any political party in forming a coalition," uh, he said. Uh, not I even Dank? Come on. Not even Dank? Well, I mean, there is a difference between uh, speaking out that you're not going to work with them and common sense, right? Right. Um, yeah. But he said, I'm not going to rule out anything because I think that is arrogant and that is not democratically sound. And I specifically remembered Geert Wilders uh, ruling out the VVD party um, as long as Mark Rutte is its leader. Yes. Uh, so I when I heard him say that, I immediately uh, looked up that old tweet and uh, and posted it on, on Twitter. Um, yes, which was funny. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. what you are uh, referring to. I don't know what the Renaissance man is referring to. Well, that.
1: the renaissance do you know what a renaissance man is no like a person who is good at a lot of different things basically and because you always have this complicated right like gordon and i have these clear-cut job descriptions and you always have this like (laughs) student taxi driver, whatever so i i upgraded you Uh, to a renaissance man yeah
2: yeah homo universalis yes Perseus. And you're now able to tell us all about uh, Lionel Messi, which is exciting. I, because that means I, I, I can ditch the sports section now. I, I know, know way actually. more about
1: him than I ever wanted to, <laughs> uh, because he personally actually had a case before the uh, EU's high court this week over uh-huh. whether or not he could trademark his name in the European Union, um, which... Yeah.
2: Ha- has he become so rich that he is now actually a European Union state?
1: <laughs> yes, basically. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely worth more than like, I don't know, Malta and Belgium <laughs> Lux- or something. Yeah. Um, the world's highest paid athlete, actually. That's also a fun fact that I learned. Also, he's very short. I learned this. Um... He's played for Barcelona for his entire career. He wanted to leave earlier this year, and then got into a bit of a contract dispute with Barcelona, so he's yeah. staying on for another yeah. season. See, see how much of an expert I am on this.
2: Amazing. Um, yeah. But we're, we're going to come back and question you on this in two weeks' time and see if you. No, it's little. it's all gone. <laughs> it's totally
1: <laughs> gone. Uh, yeah he had a he had a trademark dispute with a Spanish clothing company called Massy, um, <laughs> which they had initially rejected. the The trademark office had initially rejected Messi's desire to trademark his name here. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was this existing trademark, but the court of justice has said uh, Messi is very famous and he is allowed to use his name on his clothing line. So I am
0: that. sure the name recognizability of Lionel Messi is much, much greater than that. W- w- how is the clothing brand called? Massey, <laughs> I
1: think is how Massey, you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And yeah. that one is trademarked and yeah. uh, Messi's name isn't. So yeah, I, I think it's uh, this ruling is fair. Wasn't he also sometimes involved in, uh, in a tax avoidance scheme or
2: something? Wasn't I mean, that
1: who, uh, who isn't involved in a tax avoidance yeah, exactly. scheme,
2: Paul? R- which footballers are not involved in, uh, have not got their money shipped out to tax havens. Uh, I'm I mean, sure I mean, Dick I mean, Offagat
0: I mean, never never thought yeah, about
2: no. that. I mean, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo basically had a museum built to himself on his home island of Madeira, so he could kind of uh, write off his tax, <laughs> tax bill. You know,
1: and, I'm am s- sorry. Who is that? Uh, he's, another
2: football- he's another he's another uh, well-paid athlete.
1: Okay, gotcha. Thanks
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> he plays some for popular. fc mm. <laughs>
1: Ophef. yeah
0: Ophef. yeah uh this week the Ophef uh, of the week was caused by our very own gordon derrick who is uh, <laughs> uh who honored us with uh, joining us today so uh, hello thank you for that gordon
1: <laughs> is this um, is this the first time the Ophef has been caused by someone on the podcast
0: no i think I, so i think no. it is well, have, you, have you have you caused some before paul is it? I thought you once... Re- uh, we discuss one of your op things as well sometimes, Molly. I'm not sure about that. We're going to have to look that Okay. up. Um, but yeah, it all started with news uh, that the University of Edinburgh announced it would rename one of their buildings named after the philosopher David Hume because of his quote, comments on matters of race. Uh, the change came after an online petition calling the building to be renamed uh, that was signed uh, more than 1700 times. Uh, the building will now be known as 40 George Square, which led to uh, some people on the internet speculating that its new name was referring to George Floyd, the Afro-American man who died while being arrested earlier this year, and uh, whose death sparked a demonstration against police brutality around the world. Obviously, this wasn't true at all, but that didn't stop the Telegraph newspaper to run the story and actually put in the headline that the building was renamed after Floyd. Uh, our very own Gordon Derek pointed out the fake news uh, of the Telegraaf in a number of tweets which went absolutely viral over Dutch Twitter in the past few days. As Gordon pointed out, the building's new name actually refers to its address, which was named after George Brown, the brother of the 18th century developer of the square.
2: Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you go looking for op pepper on the internet, and some days it just, like, falls into your lap, and yeah. this, this one sort of the things I just switched on Twitter on, I think it must have been Wednesday morning, um, and uh, this th- this completely incredible headline uh, just just jumped out of me, because as a graduate of Edinburgh University, who spent quite <laughs> a lot of time, my university days, in the David Hume Tower, I immediately clocked that this was absolute nonsense, and couldn't quite <laughs> believe that they'd fallen for this, uh, knowing that David Hume Tower was in George Square. The one thing I, d- I didn't know um, that I learned during this is that George- I always assumed uh, while I was hanging out in George Square that it was named after one of the King Georges, but actually it's named, as you said, after the brother of uh, George Brown, who's the brother of James Brown, who is not the Godfather of Soul. This would be so like... much better if
1: this was named after the brother of the
2: Godfather of Soul, though. So much better. I, I think, indeed, indeed. Um, but, yeah, but uh, 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 but James Brown bought the square in the 18th century and uh, developed it with some rather lovely Georgian buildings. Uh, and in the 20th century, the University of Edinburgh put up this uh, ghastly eyesore called the David <laughs> Hume Tower, named after David Hume. I'm not sure David Hume, actually, if it, had he been still around today, would have been that uh, enamoured with the fact that this particular building is named after him. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't think there's any great loss for David Hume. It's no great loss for the university, you know. Uh, a lot of people, this obviously upset a lot of sensitive people who uh, who don't like the idea of cancel culture, saying that David hume is been cancelled. <laughs> of course, he hasn't at all. You know, he's still going to be taught on syllabuses. He is still a uh, monumental figure of the Scottish Enlightenment. His box, books are still in the library, which sort of really counts at universities. And the fact that they've na- taken his name off a building is really neither here nor there, I- except that, of course, it gave us an opportunity to uh, to, to laugh at Taylor Cough for being yeah. suckered. By yeah. this um, by this idea that they named it after George Floyd, and then of course they corrected the story, inverted commas, by saying that uh, rather than just uh, th- 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 um, admitted, uh, accepted, rather than just admitting that they got this wrong or just discreetly taking it off, they kind of qualified it by saying, oh well, some people say it was named uh, it was named after George Floyd, and some people <laughs> say that it's been renamed after its postal address, even though the, it was the university who put out in a press release that that was why they were renaming it so the telegraph were basically saying the owner of the building says one thing a load of random lunatics on the internet are saying another thing we don't know who we should believe which didn't really (laughs) do much to salvage their credibility but on the back of all this i'm going to now start a petition i think to rename the building formerly known as the david hume tower as the james brown basilica I think this is the solution, <laughs> this is the way to go, because it will lend Edinburgh University a veneer of cool that it has sorely been lacking in the last uh, few years. Indeed, but I, <laughs> I looked at the building, I
0: looked it up, and I don't think it should be named after anyone, because it no. will just uh, dishonour basically anyone with uh, this name. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it could have been called the Adolf Hitler Tower, and it
2: would still be... <laughs> it, it would still be like an that insult that. to the person it, it was, it was named It would still after. be an insult yeah. to that person,
1: yeah. Oh god, you guys are the worst. This week, we've got, what else? Corona. An unfashionable budget day. Yet another's worth a peak controversy, even though it's only September, for God's sake. Plus, how Utrecht is trying to be more like Amsterdam, a comment which might get me banned from Christmas dinner.
0: This week was the hottest budget day ever, or as the rest of the country knows it, Prinsjesdag.
1: Was it the hottest budget day in The Hague or in De Bilt?
0: Uh, both. Ah, uh, wow. interesting. But it officially counts as a hot day when it's hot in the build. Yes. Yeah.
2: Otherwise, otherwise it's a
1: fake. It doesn't matter. Day.
0: Yeah.
2: No. Yes. So, do we have like a tropical budget day? Is that
0: what i uh saying? Yeah. Was it over thirty degrees? Mm-mm. It was I close. Think so it was close. Oh, to
2: was 30.
0: it? Wow! Yeah, it was a tropical budget day, indeed. Yeah.
1: Wow.
0: King Willem Alexander officially opened the new parliamentary year with the speech from the throne in the speech the cabinet's plan for the upcoming year were outlined uh, it was the last time the cabinet presented its budget because uh, you know next year in march we have elections and hopefully by september a new cabinet even though that's uh, don't count on uh, it far from from certain especially if we look at belgium which still i, I think it's uh, it's uh, now now one and a half years that they don't have a a, a government yeah it d- no, just they don't,
1: no, just they got it Bel- together during Corona and formed yeah. a government. Yeah, Corona no, that, was a, that
0: was a that was an emergency uh, government, but they still don't have a coalition, uh, a majority coalition oh. in 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 their parliament. Yeah. Okay.
2: just don't just don't look no. at Belgium. Paul. That's the answer. No, no, no. We
0: shouldn't yeah. look at Belgium. No, this is the Dutch <laughs> news podcast, not no. the <laughs> Belgian fuck up podcast. <laughs> Um, Which is what, what all
1: podcasts in Belgium are about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in order to provide enough space for social distancing, the speech was held in the Grote Kerk in De instead of the Riddersaal, the Grand Medieval Hall at the heart of the Binnenhof complex. MPs were not allowed to bring guests, ambassadors, and other dignitaries had to stay at home, and even the deputy ministers were not invited. Instead, they had organized a watch party in a nuclear bunker in Rijswijk. Uh, I was afraid that uh, after Dag we would wake up in, um, in, in in a a, uh, dictatorship of Steentje van Veldhoven, but luckily that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, MPs were supposed to take special shuttle buses to uh, take them from the Binnenhof to the grote Kerk, but many MPs flatly refused to to take the bus. They decided to walk the 300 meter distance instead. Some of them uh, out of protest against the Corona rules, some because they thought it was ridiculous to take the bus for such a short distance, and others simply because the weather was so nice. Yeah. Uh, even chairwoman uh, katisha arip uh, yeah. uh, walked to the Grote Kerk
2: yeah because they were all kind of stopped by the, the NOS uh, had to, had a reporter um, on the way to the church and they all stopped and they all gave a different excuse because none of them wanted to um, admit that uh, or, or be associated with, um, uh, with Thierry Baudet who had originally said I'm not going to take the bus because it's uh, 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 because he's against the corona restrictions but like Henk Cole came and said well I'm not just walking for 300 meters and uh, Yes, a cloud came along and said, well, I live nearby, so i just park my bike and then there was no point getting the bus. So but it was kind of interesting. They all sort of had a different reason. There
0: was an excuse
2: for everyone. Yeah. The
1: reality is it was sunny and Dutch yeah. people, <laughs> by some sort of process in their genetic code must go outside and be in the sun when it is sunny. So all of these excuses, including Cherry Baudet's protest idea, are all lies. The reality is, is that Dutch people by genetic disposition have to go outside and be in the sun when there is sun.
0: Yeah. Yes, but they already had to resist one of their genetic instincts—that is, wear short trousers yes. whenever the sun yes. shines—and now they had to be dressed up in 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 their suits and in their. I'm in sure their dresses, that they so.
1: all had to have emergency phone calls with their therapists to deal with yeah. that kind of emotional trauma.
2: Yeah, short trousers and sandals as well. Yes. Yeah. Indeed.
0: Um, other changes to the traditions on Princess Day due to the coronavirus included the king's mode of transportation. Instead of the traditional racist carriage pulled by the traditional eight Frisian horses, he was chauffeured to the Grote Kerk in his stretched Audi A8. This one was escorted by eight Frisian motorcyclists. I thought that was a very nice. That's uh, funny. Yeah. That's a nice detail. Yeah. yeah.
2: Did, uh, 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 I'm just glad they didn't blockade the road on the way to the to the church. The freezing Motorcycle. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, no,
0: they weren't driving on a yeah.
2: on a on a motorway. I was going to say it would be been better a. if he'd been escorted by eight Frisian forklift truck drivers. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would have been <laughs> really funny, yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, also, the traditional hooray after the speech was not uh, allowed because singing and chanting in gatherings is uh, is banned because of the Corona rules. Instead, the chair of the joint session of both houses of the States General did do hooraying himself. Yeah, th- it I, th- I thought that was very awkward. That was extremely side. awkward. It's uh, always awkward because he uh, he always starts the hooraying right, and then he stands up and then yells hooray. And yeah. I think it's always an awkward moment. But yeah. now, uh, since he was the only one, it was uh, extremely
1: awkward.
2: awkward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just it, was a, it was the saddest moment of Prince like I thought when he just stood there by himself, sort of waving his fist in the air, you know, like <laughs> uh, like kind of you know sort of like a, like an undergraduate revolutionary who can't get anyone to join his cause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed.
1: Uh, so, Paul, enough about the horses and the buses.
2: He not the Netherlands must uh,
0: ready itself for serious economic setbacks. Uh, the Dutch economy and finances are healthy and due to the cabinet's responsible fiscal policies over the past year, enough buffers had been built up to uh, take up the economic hits of uh, for the over the coming times. Uh, reminder, this speech is written by Mark Rutte and not by the king himself. But the king said, uh, much depends on how long the coronavirus remains among us. The economic forecasts are not as bad as initially thought, but this will only be the case if we manage to avoid a second wave of the virus and a second lockdown, uh, because A new intelligent lockdown will be disastrous for the country as a whole. The government decided not to cut spending uh, like in the economic crisis of 2008, but instead chooses to invest money in keeping jobs, good services and a cleaner country. So that's a radical change and a radical U-turn compared to the other crisis. Uh, The king also spoke of the need to make sure the uh, government is on the side of the people and not against them. He gave the damage caused by gas drilling earthquakes in Groningen as an example, as well as the tax office uh, in the child benefits uh, scandal, um, and you can read the full speech in English on the Dutch News website if you want, and we will link uh, we will link to it on in the liner notes.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, there was also royal Ophef, uh, in
0: Since we're speaking of the king, oh, yeah, indeed. Was. There was. Uh, There was too much op this week. Indeed, the budget included the king's and queen's new salaries. Uh, Their collective income will rise by approximately 5% to 7.2 million euros. Uh, That includes money to pay their staff as well as their personal income. So it's not all uh, going to their personal uh, bank accounts. Hmm. Uh, And also some eyebrows were raised by this news, especially because the king had just warned the country against difficult uh, economic times. but his his salary uh, grows according to um, uh, to the to the uh, salary increases of other public servants as well. So uh, if uh, if a policeman uh, uh, gets more money, then he automatically also gets more money. So that's right. the reason why uh, uh, f- for this increase. Yeah. But uh, more have came after people realized Princess Amalia will turn eighteen in twenty twenty one, and from that time, the Princess of Orange, as her official title is, uh, is old enough to become queen. And that means she is entitled to a payment from the government. And that will be 1.6 million euros a year. And a lot of people find that uh, way too much for a girl of 18. And also Mm. because she turns uh, 18 on in December, um, she will get money for uh, the month of December in 2021 2021. Yeah. And that is uh, over over 100 grand. So yeah, Yeah. that's quite a lot of money for for for, it. Yeah, for,
2: for 24 days. Well, yeah, most yeah. of which is holidays. So yeah. Yeah, when you work out how many working days uh, are in that period, it's almost <laughs> it's almost nothing. So it's it's almost <laughs> as if she's uh, a football uh, player at yeah. uh, FC Barcelona. Indeed, yeah, yeah. So she, she'll get one point six million in a year and an awful lot of furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: indeed, and a lot of uh, a lot of racist carriages as well. <laughs> yes. She will get a personalized Especially. one. Yeah. Was there, it not? There's also are there carriages there, that but...
1: aren't racist? I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah, the glass carriage isn't racist, I
2: think. Less
1: racist, probably.
2: Less racist, yeah. Yeah, yeah and let's put a less bit of racist in it, and then you can obviously yeah, see... Then it it the yeah, then it's a different story.
1: If Kurt Wilders gets in the glass <laughs> carriage, then it's a racist <laughs> carriage. Come
2: on. <laughs> yeah, isn't it also op-hef every year? I was reading this about um, the the, uh, uh, the vessel that uh, Queen Beatrix got on her 18th birthday, the Gulen Draak, which yeah. uh, there's always op about the cost of maintaining this boat. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially because it's an
0: official uh, uh, Royal Navy vessel, so yeah. it is maintained by uh, by 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 the navy. Uh, but it was a gift from the government to her, so. Uh, was well, a gift from of... the
2: people of the Netherlands, wasn't it, to her officially? Yeah. So everyone uh, in the country contributed to it.
1: Oh, okay,
2: okay, I didn't. What did they send
1: out a? Ticky to everybody. <laughs>
2: probably, I, <laughs> I probably think it was pre-ticky time. time.
1: I don't believe that there's yeah. ever been a time that was pre-ticky in the Netherlands ones.
0: They probably inv- invented some sort of paper ticky. Yeah. S- yeah. System. Yeah, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, but but, but basically, basically every year, Queen um, Beatrix puts in a boniture for the maintenance of the <laughs> Kuna Drag, and every year uh, there's ophe about it in the Trader Kammer. and uh, yeah. I believe that happened again this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's always ophe about that. But she gets <laughs> the money.
2: She always gets the money. She will
0: get the money, definitely, yeah. but as long as... Well, she kept
1: her bonnages. <laughs> of course she gets the money.
0: <laughs> indeed. She's a very responsible bonnages uh, uh, queen. She's the queen of bonnages.
1: Queen of bonnages. But yeah,
0: as, as soon as uh, there's news about the royals and money, there is about it. Because yeah. the Dutch they, the, the Dutch people like the monarch, they like the king, but they don't like spending money on it. So yeah. um, This is just
1: like classic Dutch maneuver, right? Like they is, like stuff, they just Dutch don't like everything. to spend money. Like it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed my headache today comes not from drinking too much beer at the pub last night but from having to listen to dutch politicians argue about economics islam and make bad jokes about birthdays <laughs> that's right it was the post-princhesdag alchemengle politikbeschauing and i had to listen to everyone's favorite peroxide spokesperson for like 30 entire minutes so you all better donate to the gin fund Tweeted took two delightful days to debate this year's budget. The opposition parties Hoon SP, and PVDA have drawn up their own counter budgets, which is a bit like your six-year-old writing cookies 14 times on your shopping list before you go to the Albert Heijn. <laughs> Rather than starting off with the ongoing pandemic or financial repercussions of the lockdown measures, we had to open with more than an hour of PVDA leader and singular party member Gert Wilders going on about how the Dutch legal system is corrupt because it found him guilty of something but didn't punish him for it. Highlights from that include De Assessant leader and slightly awkward teenager, Rob Yette, calling Wilders the Orban of the Netherlands, referring to the Prime Minister of Hungary, Victor Orban. Wilders said that was a compliment. Herr Jan Segers, Christian Uni leader and Dutch reincarnation of Mark the Evangelist, told Wilders that if the Netherlands was a banana republic, as Wilders had claimed in his post-court press conference, he wouldn't be in parliament, which means I am now supporting the Netherlands becoming a banana republic.
0: <laughs> so at some time at the first debate, I think it was 11 o'clock at night, uh, gertjan Segers started to talk about quickies. Yes. I don't know if you, uh, if you catch that as well, but a- at that time I knew it was time to turn off my TV yeah, really. and go to sleep because this, this just became too surrealistic.
1: Yes. <laughs> when, when the leader of a Christian party starts talking about quickies, you got to call it for the debate. That should just officially be a rule.
0: I think. Yeah. yeah, he he said that quickies are allowed in a marriage. So yes. um, in, in oh. case you didn't know that.
1: Why we are taking mar- marital advice from a random MP, <laughs> I don't know, but okay. Uh, as Paul mentioned earlier, Wilders also refused to say which parties he would or would not rule with if given the opportunity, which is a bit like you telling your ex they can't break up with you because you broke up with them first. Then we finally got on to some economics with Day leader and hungover frat boy Klaus Dykoff telling the Socialist Party leader that he, quote, can't build social housing, which not in those white Adidas you can't, buddy. The CDA proposed creating a Ministry of Housing, the Day wants to lower taxes on landlords, and everyone's favorite political messiah, Yessa Klaver, said the proposed tax cuts on businesses were like the Sadat von Orania, it just doesn't end. Which I think was my favorite one-liner of the two days.
0: And there was also some OPF about Dijkhoff's uh, shoes.
1: Yes. Yeah. He was
0: wearing a three-piece suit, and under it, this bright white sneakers it was a terrible combination and uh, the whole day everybody was talking about it uh, the second day he posted on twitter a photo of his other pair of shoes which were black sneakers so yes. he
1: um, he toned it down a bit for thursday
0: Indeed,
2: yeah, but at least he wasn't combining uh, black socks with brown shoes and a blue suit. <laughs> That's true, indeed. Yeah, it was another break with tradition.
0: <laughs> if he
1: really wanted to be like a fashion icon, he would wear a blue three-piece suit and then like brown like New Balances or something. That that I would that I would get behind as a sort of making fun of his own culture thing. Finally, at 9 goddamn p.m. on Wednesday, we got to Corona, which turns out is not going well. And then somehow the SKP leader, Kees van der Stey, gave a fantastic speech with more bird and biblical references than I've ever been able to work into something in which he called for everyone to remain calm during difficult times. That sentiment went straight out the window with the next lineup of speakers, including the lavender-scented Cherry Baudet, who brought a lot of paperwork for some reason, and a bunch of these single-person parties, basically MPs who have broken off from other parties.
2: Cherry Baudet seems like he's just worked out in the last couple of weeks how to use PowerPoint, and he wants to show it off to everybody. There was some
0: OPF about Cherry uh, Baudet's graphs that he brought with him because his Y axis was misleading.
1: Yes, like everything about Cherry Baudet, his graphs <laughs> are misleading. For
0: example, he brought a graph with uh, the number of farmers in the Netherlands, and his line started at the uh, left top and went straight down to zero. Or that's at least that what it seemed like but his Y axis started with uh, 22,000 instead mm. of 0 so yeah. that was a little bit misleading and when I pointed that out there were a lot of FAD supporters who said no this is perfectly fine everybody does it this way <laughs> and uh, it's just a matter of presentation and I thought yeah indeed it's a matter of presentation right. it's a misleading way of presentation and also Case van der Style always has great speeches I think he's one of the best he always gives the best speeches uh, basically and he always this brings um, brings a tool with him to show off with. This time it was a uh, stuffed bird, but last year I, th- I think he brought some paintings of Rembrandt, so always a nice speech by Kees van der Stij. but yeah. Too bad this leader
2: of party wants to get back into the early 19th century.
1: We will get to that later, don't worry. Anyway, then we all went to bed. The following day, Mark Rutte kicked things off by talking about corona for a refreshing change of pace. He said it's going badly, but the Netherlands can beat the virus. He and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge are scheduled to hold a press conference later today to announce new regional measures. The rumor is, is that bars and hotspot areas will be told to close at 1 a.m., so you all better get to your Vimeo's early. Ruta also said it will not be mandatory to take a corona vaccine, as he claims that's not legally possible. Peter Olmzicht complained on Thursday about MPs not getting enough information from the government, which I assume is a sentiment he just recorded a decade ago and now schedules to broadcast during debates. At the end of day two, you get all of the motions. Those included reducing debt, uh, reducing government debt, so like the Dutch's whole debt, uh, investigating nuclear energy, simplifying the process for construction of homes for the elderly, investigating a jobs guarantee program, setting up a planning bureau for safety, and also expressing that the Netherlands is not a corrupt country. Can anyone guess who proposed that last motion?
0: Um, Not a corrupt country?
1: Yes, not a corrupt country.
0: Was that Geert Wilders?
1: It was, in fact, Mr. Wilders.
0: But he, he claims the Netherlands is a corrupt country.
1: Yes, uh, I do not um, pretend to understand the mind that is Geert Wilders. I think what he wanted them to do was to express the fact that we are not...
2: A corrupt country, so when he's... It's basically because he doesn't want foreigners to say that the Netherlands is a corrupt country, but he wants the freedom to say it himself. Yes, of course. When, when the courts rule against him. Okay,
0: well, the logic of all this uh, escapes me, but... uh... I
1: mean, the peroxide has seeped into his brain and none of the things that he (laughs) (laughs) said make any sense and haven't for the last 15 years. Also, there was a motion passed that was proposed by the official lady-hating party, the SJP, which says that crime figures still show a worrying overrepresentation of people with a non-Western migration background and that the House wants the government to, quote, recognize this problem, investigate, and develop a targeted approach to both crime in these groups and reduce its totality. I guess proving that whole love your neighbor as yourself thing only applies to white people. Paul, can you relive... Okay, maybe my second favorite moment of the night, which involved Cherry Baudet, Mark Rita, and a very embarrassing history lesson.
0: Yes. Baudet was silent for the whole second day until, at the very last moment, he started to talk, uh, and he said that much like Louis the Fourteenth with the French Revolution, Margruder doesn't see the next revolution coming up. And then Margruder yelled from his seat, "You mean Louis the <laughs> Sixteenth? Which, uh, which, which was a nice correction.
1: Yes, I enjoyed that immensely.
0: I didn't. Uh, I didn't see it, by the way. But uh, all of a sudden, I opened Twitter around midnight last night and i saw that louis XIV 14th was trending topic right it was like why on <laughs> earth is louis the 14th trending so uh, yeah then i found out what happened and uh, yeah it was uh, it was a nice fun little moment my favorite moment was on the first day. Uh, Geert Wilders was the first one to speak and went for one and a half hours about uh, Islam, as, as it always does. But then he also talked about the legacy of Margrethe of 10 years Margrethe as prime minister. And he said that it was basically devastating for the country and that the social safety net was destroyed by Margrethe. And then uh, Lodewijk Usher came up and he said, well, I made several proposals over the past three years in order to strengthen the social position of people. And every time the pay voted it down. So how can you say that Mark Rutte did this while well, you basically did the same thing by not supporting our proposals? And Hildweather didn't really have an answer to this. He, for example, didn't know that uh, bicycle couriers uh, existed. He didn't know that.
1: Yes, I, he- I heard a lot of shouting about that in this household
0: so i finally found the weak point of hate Wilders, and that is substance he can rant about islam and about emotions uh, and about the underbelly but when it comes to substance and about details he
2: doesn't have an answer to that i noticed that as well and i think that's something we're going to see a lot during the election campaign as well of all the party leaders I think Assad was the one who seemed to be most kind of election ready or in election mode during yeah, these for debates sure. and uh, i think we're going to see a lot more of that that like you say it's been a tendency i think in the last Decade or so For the other parties To kind of just like Give Wilders a floor He spoke for about An hour and a half at the start of these two days of debates about his court case. And no one really kind of interrupted him. They just basically let him have this platform. And Asser kind of moved him off that and actually said, well, it's all very well you bang on about Moroccans endlessly, but where are you when they have the votes that actually do things for the people who vote for you? And Villas didn't have an answer. And um, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. My favourite moment involved Kirtian Seixas and uh, like Asser. Seixas at some point in the debate was um, talking about the unity in the coalition and produced a quote. From a poem by Willem Elscott called "A Tuilek, uh, the marriage. The quotes, of loosely translated, was kind of like, uh, "Between us and caring for each other, um, stand laws and practical objections." Elscott said it more poetically than that. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was the same. Dear sentiment. God, I hope. So. <laughs> yeah. But um, Asa then immediately uh, jumped up to the interruption microphone and pointed out that uh, this particular poem by Elscott was actually about a man dreaming about killing his wife because he's so <laughs> sick of the marriage, <laughs> which wasn't Necessarily the best kind of metaphor for the state of the coalition uh, that uh, Katie and Seekers uh, thought it would be. Who would so, be the wife of the coalition? <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe Case van der Stay, the handmaiden. Yeah, true. Or I guess a claver these days because they're minority cabinets so they kind of need to go and find a mistress
0: yeah and uh, you really noticed that it was a minority cabinet by margaret's responses because he seemed to be really open to all the ideas of the opposition parties and it was clearly a way to look nice for the opposition party whose support he desperately needs in the coming months to actually do something because he of course has a minority in both houses of parliament
1: i think the biggest. I mean, we obviously covered a lot of the like funny bullshit stuff, but I think kind of the biggest sort of substance of the discussion was about the government's proposal to give 2 billion euros to businesses to help them with Corona. This is the so-called Wapka Weebus Fund, which is interesting because it's his first name and is last name, right? Yeah. Which I find odd, but okay. Anyway, the A and the FA day want the money to go to quote normal people. So I guess no one on this podcast is getting any. Uh, <laughs> Labor wants the money to shocker go to workers. It also wants job guarantees. That was also a thing that was pretty heavily discussed. The socialists and the greens and pretty much everybody else you'd expect aren't hugely in favor of this either. Um, Ritza said that they were going to clarify how this money is going to be spent and we'll get back to the parliament by the 5th of October, I think. So I think that that was kind of, like, the biggest actual, like, sort of substantive takeaway.
2: Extra coronavirus measures are expected to be announced later on Friday following a surge in cases over the past two weeks. On Tuesday, more than 1,300 new infections were reported. On Wednesday, the number passed 1,500, and on Thursday, it was more than 1,700. That's equivalent to 10 infections for every 100,000 people, which is well above the government's alert level of seven. Germany and Belgium classed the provinces of North Holland and South Holland as a red zones this week, meaning they're dissuading anyone from actually travelling to them. If there's any good news, it's that uh, although hospital admissions are rising, they are not rising anything like as fast as the infection rate. So there were 261 COVID patients in hospital on Thursday, an increase of 16 in 24 hours. 49 of them are in intensive care, but that's six fewer than on Wednesday. But the rapid rise in infections is causing concern, because at some point uh, that is increasingly likely to trigger an increase in hospitalisations and deaths, as we've seen if you look over the border in France and Spain. And, of course, we're also running out of testing capacity. So health inspectors published a report this week warning that the local network of health boards isn't ready to cope with a sharp increase in infections. They estimate that 55,000 tests per day will be needed by November, and 86,000 by February. And currently, we have a limit of 30,000 tests today. The head of the Microvida Laboratory, one of the biggest in the Netherlands, has also warned the system will grind to a halt by the end of October unless testing capacity is increased. People are waiting three, four or five days for a test result. That's simply too long, Bram Diederen told the Volkskrant. And of course, we still don't have a track and trace app. So it's all falling apart, basically, as the infections rise.
1: What? is driving the rise of infections, Gordon. Do we know?
2: It's students, basically. Of course. It's all their fault. uh, (laughs) Of course. We can blame them. I mean, in all seriousness, the rise is concentrated in large cities and university towns, obviously Amsterdam Rotterdam and The Hague, but also places like Delft, Leiden, Nijmegen, Groningen. The Students Association in Delft and the local health service have sent around a letter to students warning them that the town is on the brink of a local lockdown and pointing out that students account for 80% of infections in Delft currently, so urging all the students if they have symptoms to get themselves tested. It does seem that any new restrictions which are going to be announced later on Friday, so before most people listen to this podcast, they are likely to focus on university towns, possibly as well uh, a curfew on um, bar closing hours. Hoekha Nederland, which represents the catering sector, said it was extremely concerned about the potential impact on cafes and bars, because of course they took a big financial hit during the first lockdown.
0: And uh, who else is uh, being hit by the COVID uh, virus? Uh, the zoos. The zoos?
1: Wait, are like the monkeys getting corona?
0: Uh, not so far. Are the Przewalski horses getting corona?
2: The, no, I don't think so. Are the elephants?
1: The pandas? My God, are the pandas getting corona?
2: Something bad will happen to the pandas. Although nothing seems to kill off the giant pandas as a species, not even the fact they can't reproduce. No, and they are the, the, the most inefficient uh, <laughs> uh, species in the world. Yeah, so not them. No, no. it's because people aren't going to zoos. So the, oh. the 13 largest zoos, like Artis, Bleidorp, and the Park in Emmen, have lost 150 million in revenue since the lockdown started. And several of them are run by non-profit organizations, so they don't have big financial reserves to fall back on we are not out of the woods said zoos association chairman erich seyferbergen the zoos will have to make forty million euros in cuts to keep going another thirty nine million euros will come from the agriculture ministry and they've asked local councils to help make up the shortfall uh, Rotterdam Council has given Bleidorp a bridging loan but they still face having to lay off 40 to 50 of their 180 staff so yeah, bad news if you run a zoo uh, I guess the animals are probably happier though that, uh, that, that there are yeah, so many I... people
0: gulping at them. I've seen Madagascar I don't want to know what's going on like, in that zoo now.
1: Wasn't there something at the beginning of the lockdown where like they said that was it pandas that were here got pregnant because people were not gawking at them all the time?
2: Yeah, basically the, the pandas suddenly produced a baby panda because uh, yeah, people were leaving them alone. So the problems of the pandas turn out to be again human beings being terrible
1: I wonder if the pandas got any relationship advice from Har Jansekers <laughs>
2: <laughs> The pandas are clearly not dreaming of killing their partners anyway which is one good thing.
1: I mean you don't you don't know
2: He has a telepathic connection with Pandas.
1: I don't want to know I'm not I'm not interested in what you do in your private life. <laughs>
2: If you appreciate this podcast' efforts to bring you the latest news on the coronavirus outbreak, budget spending plans, and the King's Beard. We didn't have any beard update news, actually. What was the beard update? Uh, it, uh, he just kept it. He's just still got it. Yeah. yeah. There we are. Wasn't it, um, the,
0: was it the first Printerstock stuff with a beard?
2: No, last year he had the beard. Last year he had the beard. First... Yeah. Okay. okay there okay. Those, those big up puff remember, because they weren't sure whether he would shave it off for prince stuff or not. But That's right. Not yeah. 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 Or if you'd just like to contribute to Molly's Gin Fund, why not become one of our Patreon sponsors? Please,
1: please, please contribute (coughs) to the Gin Fund.
2: Yeah, it's set to watch uh, Circuit of Builders all week. She'll need therapy and gin. (laughs) All patrons get a shout-out on the next episode as a mark of gratitude, the chance to ask us any questions you like, and access to our summer special Before the Second Wave Ask Me Anything edition. This week we say hello and thank you to new patron Stephen Thornton. Uh, Stephen hasn't got back to us with any more information about himself, but we're very grateful to you all the same. We did get a message from Erin Rulo after our first episode after the break, uh, because we mentioned another new patron, Michael Amos, from Minneapolis, and Erin writes, I also live in Minneapolis, and I also love your podcast, so I'm perplexed that someone in this tiny town is also listening to the same thing. Um, and she asked Michael if he used to live in the Netherlands as well. If so, let's grab coffee and chat. So what we thought we'd do, um, Michael, hopefully you're listening, but if you're not, we'll uh, send you a note of Erin's email through the back channels of the Patreon um, page, and you can get in touch if you so wish. If you guys do meet up, uh, let us know how you get on. Maybe send a selfie. No, zoo. you have
1: to send a selfie. Yeah, hundred percent.
2: Yes, yeah. You have to, you have to yes. go to the. We zoo. we
1: will agree to not publish the selfie, but we need to see the <laughs> photographic evidence of this. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So, so go also, to the zoo. I like how
1: Aaron refers to Minneapolis as a tiny town, yeah. and it's like not a tiny town. <laughs> 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 Maybe Aaron was living in like you know Bangalore or some huge place before. Uh, Three point uh,
0: six million people in yeah. Uh, Minneapolis. Yeah, and and, so, and that doesn't include Saint Paul.
1: But I'm I'm very excited that hopefully people are getting to know each other via the podcast. That's always very fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. I uh, th- that would be the first time we will we would uh, bring people together somewhere around in
1: this the way. way. Yeah, that's that, 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 is, that we know that, we know, that,
2: that we, we know of. That we know of. Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how else people would have gotten connected. But if you have otherwise connected via the podcast, please send us an email at mm. podcast at dutchnews.nl, because I'm extremely curious. And a yeah,
2: selfie. Yeah, and yeah. a selfie. Yeah, we'll read it out with some slushy music in the background. For all sure, all the, all the little the like soft jazz, little <laughs> yes. saxophone action.
1: Yeah, it'll be great. Turn it into a whole different kind of podcast. <laughs>
2: The Public
0: Prosecution Department has removed a member of the team taking legal action against 25 Facebook users for spreading hate message on the eve of the first hearing in the case. Prosecutor Jacobin Vrekamp was uh, withdrawn at the last moment in the wake of a row which erupted on social media over the decision by the prosecution service not to press charges against performer and anti-racism campaigner Akwasi in an unrelated case. Vrekamp signed the letter telling Akwasi that he would not face prosecution for telling a demonstration in June that he would, quote, personally kick a Zwarte Piet in the face if he saw him in November, end quote, because the rapper and poet had stated in public that he regretted making them. The letter was obtained by a far-right uh, Twitter account, which accused Freikomp of a conflict of interest because she had served on the board of Amsterdam Discrimination Hotline with another anti-Zwarte Piet campaigner. Monday's case focuses on hate messages sent to journalist and campaigner Clarice gagar after she uh, put live footage of a kick-out Zwarte Piet demonstration online in November 2018. In total, 25 people are being prosecuted for making racist and threatening comments directed at campaigners and at Gargard herself. The public prosecution department said in a statement that it has full confidence in Freikamp, but removed her from the legal team because her presence could detract uh, from the actual case. Freikamp had been working on the case for two years, and it is unclear as yet what the impact will be on the trial. I think it was a a stupid mistake by the public prosecutor to put her on, on the case of Akwasi even though i'm sure she did her she did her job very well uh, just the uh yeah a, a hint of of a conflict of interest uh, could be devastating for a case and i i also don't know why she was put on that case because she is a um uh, she specialized in uh, in racism cases but the aquasi case it did, uh, didn't have anything to do with racism, so I don't know why that would justify her presence there. Uh, but it has consequences for this for this very important case. Uh, these uh, these people in uh, on Facebook, these racists on Facebook. So um, yeah, I, I, it's just a shame that it uh, that that they put her on the Akwasi case because it has possible devastating results for uh, for this for this other case.
2: Yeah, but even so, there was no reason at all to take her off the Clarice Cargard case, because that was nothing to do um, you know, with Akrazi, so or a membership of this racism board. I, I sort of vaguely... You know, I get the logic of taking her off the Akazi case, because I guess it's, some, it's very likely that she would be challenged in court, and um, the potential... Yeah.
0: Her integrity would be challenged in court. I mean, if I were a lawyer of these 25 people, then that would be my my strategy. Uh, I would immediately take that up as a strategy.
1: Yeah, but I mean, that happens all the time in court, right? That, like, you can't run a public prosecutor's department based on the presumption that the defense is going to challenge things. And I mean, like you said, Paul, like... Ove is public prosecutors in the Netherlands are like specialized in different stuff. So you have, you know, prosecutors who know a lot about tax law and prosecutors who know a lot about this and that, and that they're like sort of assigned to these cases kind of based on their understanding. And of course, I mean, her thing is sort of these like discrimination-y kind of cases. So, I mean, I get why you would put her on definitely Gargar. And I guess I also understand why you would put her on the the Akwazi case, but- uh, what I sort of found is, is that, you know, everybody knew that the Aquazi thing was going to be hugely, like, in the spotlight, especially in light of the recent Builders decision. Builders has not shut up about this Aquazi thing for months. And so you really are going to have to make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed on this because you know you're going to be under a lot of scrutiny. So, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily bother me that she's on the board of an anti-discrimination You know, organization, because I think that that's a fine thing for prosecutors to do and probably good for her understanding of how discrimination works in the legal system. But the problem is, is that she's on the board with, with with somebody else from this group. And so, like, that obviously screams of, like... A
0: possible conflict of, of interest, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah but, but, but the effect on the Clarice Gagard case is, is, is worse than unfortunate because it means that somebody who's been on that case for two years and knows it inside out is now being taken off the case uh, purely really because the OM is scared of bad publicity. Um, and it means they've now got to find another prosecutor who's less experienced, less well-versed in these matters And of course has not had two years reading, it, reading up on it Yeah, so I've just, so her lawyer was understandably pretty upset that this had happened on the eve of the hearing Having finally got these 25 people to court To now discover that there's this, uh, this delay that's uh, the result of um, you know of, of, of an op that was stirred up by a, a right-wing blog That's not really how you want to run your court system Football is back The Eredivisie returned last weekend after a six-month absence in front of smaller crowds under the new coronavirus rules. Fans are also forbidden from standing up, singing or chanting, as everybody predicted it didn't go entirely to plan. Uh, The Dutch FA said it was generally pleased with how people complied with the rules, but they were still adjusting and the no chanting rule was proving especially challenging when teams score goals or players are sent off had warned during a debate in Parliament back in June that stadiums may have to close again if fans can't keep their mouths shut. But Paul Depler, the mayor of Breda, who represents the 31 municipalities, who represents the 31 municipalities with professional football teams, said, quote, "As mayors, we don't want to get into the business of policing cheering." Which seems uh, fair enough. This weekend is likely to pose a bigger challenge because Ajax, Feyenoord, and PSV are all playing at home for the first time. Thirteen thousand tickets have been sold for Ajax's first home game in the arena, and as we heard earlier, the city is something of a coronavirus hotspot. So, lots of people travelling on the metro to and back, back and forth from the game, squeezing in and out of the turnstiles, um, possibly, yeah, um, going to be difficult to stop more infecting each other. Who would have thought? Yeah. Do Do you want to know some scores? Not no, really, but, but...
1: you're going to tell us anyway. Yeah, I'll i think. tell
2: you anyway, yeah. Uh, Ajax scraped a 1-0 win away in their opening match to Sparta Rotterdam. Feyenoord beat Pexvolle 2-0, both goals from Stephen Berghaus. PSV Eindhoven, under their new German coach, Roche Schmidt, had a 3-1 win at Groningen. That was the game where Arjen Robben started his first match in Groningen f- colours, for 16 years. To no one's great surprise, he didn't finish. He limped off with an groin strain. And do you know how many minutes into the game he was injured? Uh, 30. Uh, nearly 30, 29. 29 minutes yeah, he lasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then strained his groin. There was just, um, he was very upset. Uh, he went straight home. He didn't speak to the media. <laughs> uh, walked off the pitch with his shirt over his head. Um, and probably went uh, booked into his regular suite at the uh, Academia Seekin house in Kroningen. Yeah,
0: I love the, the <laughs> photoshop someone made. Uh, welcome home, Robert. And then that yeah. the, the banner over the uh, entrance of that uh, hospital over there. Uh, we have to uh, say that it's sort of a cliche, right, that Arjen Robbe is injured. He's always injured. Yes. He's an excellent player, yeah,
2: but most of the time he's injured, so he can't play. He spends a lot of time injured. Yeah, he's known as a man of glass because um, yeah, he, he's very fragile. Uh, the good news for Rob and for all the Chronia fans who bought season tickets is that uh, they, he had a scan during the week and it revealed he, there wasn't a muscle tear. The injury's not serious. And he's already back training. Uh, he says he wants to play again. Quote, Giving up is not in my dictionary. Said Robin. Um, uh, I think, Aaron, you shouldn't really own a dictionary. It's a big, heavy book, and you might drop it on your foot. <laughs> so. On your toe. You know, d- 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 just look words up online. Much yeah, safer. Yeah, yeah. The highest scoring match was between Emmen and Fe Fenlo. A uh, very exciting game. Emmen went 2 0 up. Fenlo's new Greek signing, Georgius Gakumakis, uh, scored a hat trick in the second half to turn the game around. Ended 5 3, but that was not the most exciting thing about the game because Emmen were playing without a shirt sponsor. Why is that? That's. That's because the Deventer Club had a deal with a company called Easy Toys, but uh, the Canfé Bay, uh, uh, that didn't go down well with the Canfé Bay, uh, who vetoed it on grounds of decency because Easy Toys don't sell Lego or Playmobil, um, or the, 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 they are a manufacturer of sex toys. Uh, and the club's chairman, Ronald Lubbers, um guess whose name is very similar to Lube, said he was perplexed by the decision because the deal had been approved by the Advertising Standards Agency. It implies we are an indecent club, and that hurts. He told RTV <laughs> Drenthe. Yeah. So no. No sex toys
0: on uh, on, on any jerseys in the uh, in the uh, Eredivisie. No, no,
2: no, no, no professional footballers running around with easy toys emblazoned across their chests. I can see why the, the company thought that would be appealing, but uh, it's not to be.
1: In transportation news, the Erasmus Bridge in Rotterdam had to be closed for several days after a girder carrying overhead tram cables collapsed while the bridge was open. It's now back open to pedestrians, cyclists and cars, but trams still have to route around. Utrecht was finally given in to its secret desire to be Amsterdam and restored the single canal that surrounds the city in an effort to promote greener living. The city filled in a bunch of canals in the 1950s to make more room for cars, but all the way back in 2002, residents voted to restore the canals. Either city planners had to dig the canal out with a spoon or political infighting kept the project from moving forward until recently and a certain important figure in the netherlands will be arriving to a secret location in december no it's not saeed air drug lord Taki's right-hand man who's still hanging out in Colombia despite being wanted by Dutch police, it's Sinterklaas. This year, the jolly old chap and his minstrel show Ensemble will arrive at a secret location to avoid corona-spreading crowds. His arrival will, however, be televised. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And you can back us on Patreon at patreoncom dutchnewsnl You'll earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast and also contribute to Truby's very expensive dog food fund. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Pater's. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week.